we got a real simple plan. One man, one mission. Georgia has won the national championship. You're a fan, you might think this is sports heaven. This might be college football heaven. This is ESPN's College Game Day Podcast. Now alongside Pete Thamel, here's Reese Davis. The NFL Draft is now two weeks away. Boom or bust in the top two spots at quarterback. Where will College Game Day be week one? You know I'm not allowed to tell you yet because I don't know and new coaching hires that we can't wait to see, and I don't necessarily mean head coaches. This is the College Game Day podcast for Thursday, April 13th, as we speak, two weeks away from the NFL Draft. Reese Davis with you, Pete Thamel, I'm told is on assignment, as he often is, traveling across the fruited plain, going to every practice you can imagine, uh, spending time with Pete at the Final Four. His vast network just Keeping up with all of the people that he knows is positively exhausting. I don't, I don't know how he does it. He's like, oh, this is my friend. This is my friend, you know. And it's, and it's a guy who's a, a you know, he's a scout. He's a um, deputy AD. He, remarkable job. I'm sure he's out there uh, compiling his vast network, and he'll be with us on our coverage of the NFL draft. College Game Day Group will be on ABC starting Thursday night. And just a little background on how this works in terms of the two drafts. They're not simulcast. Um, there are specific focuses for each draft. The traditional coverage on ESPN is more, he's a three technique. He's going to fit into this scheme. They'll use him this way. They've got this salary cap issue. On ABC, our mandate and charge has been, while certainly doing that because we're all football nerds up there, But our charge has been to put more of the focus on the personal backstories and telling you a little bit about the guys because it has been shown, according to research, that at least a significant portion of the ABC audience is not necessarily hardcore football guys. They they tune in, I don't know, to watch Grey's Anatomy or something, and oh, you know, goodness, the uh, the draft is preempting my show and you want to give them a reason to watch as well. So we'll certainly touch on the football aspect of it. Um, but a, a piece that I did the voiceover for just a day or two ago was about Derek Hall of Auburn, who was born prematurely, a life changing decision that his mother had to make in the moment when he was born, things like that. But they're not all sad either. We um, we, we got some criticism a couple of years ago. Because they said, well, everything was sad and despondent, you know, in terms of the in terms of the backstories, because I think what happens is when you go in and interview players and you dig stuff up and you ask them, well, you know, what's the most significant thing in your life? What's what has led you to this moment? And the human mind automatically goes to some type of obstacle that you've overcome. And so because of that, we ended up with a lot of you know difficult stories about maybe losing a loved one or some type of uh, family problem that that a player had had coming up. So we learned from that, and so many more of the stories will be uplifting, fun. In addition to telling stories about obstacles and problems that players have overcome to reach that dream night of hearing their name called in the NFL draft. It'll also be an opportunity for you to get to know them on a personal level a little bit. And certainly we'll talk about how they fit in with your favorite team. 
But I've been reliably informed that on this podcast that we have gone 10 episodes without discussing college football, and that shall not stand. Now, I love college basketball. The tournament is phenomenal. Uh, UConn had a great run. But 10 episodes, I'm not really sure how Taylor and Sarah let that happen. It's probably mine and Pete's fault. And they probably also uh, rigged the books a little bit by counting each one of those region podcasts that we did as a separate podcast, even though they were all done in one evening. But we're putting a stop to such insanity right now and, and talking college football, or more specifically to start, college football players. And it looks as if the pendulum is swinging back toward Bryce Young as being the number one overall pick in the NFL draft. Of all the great players that Alabama has had, not only in the Saban era, but before, if that happens, it would be the first Alabama player to be selected number one overall in the NFL draft. And the only question one can have about Bryce Young is the height. Uh, Bill O'Brien, now the Patriots offensive coordinator, Alabama's offensive coordinator last year, compared him in terms of study habits. So listen carefully. Listen to me now. Hear me later. In terms of study habits and approach and preparation, put him in uh, the Tom Brady realm. Not in productivity, not saying he's as good, all of those things, just in terms of his mental approach to the game. Nick Saban has said his processing is off the charts. For whatever it's worth, and after I give Saban and O'Brien's opinion, I probably shouldn't give mine because it would pale in comparison. But if Bryce Young were 6'1 or 6'2, he might be the best quarterback prospect I've ever seen. Um, he would certainly be in the ethereal realm of guys that I viewed as can't miss. Andrew Luck, uh, for whatever you think, I thought Michael Vick was as great a quarterback prospect as I'd ever seen. But Luck, Vick, Elway, uh, people of that nature, I would put Young in that category. There is the nagging concern about his size. My old friend Lou Holtz used to say, if your feet touch the ground, you're tall enough. And, and certainly the Panthers and Bryce Young believe that to be the case if indeed the Panthers do select Young with the number one overall pick. There is not an extensive history of guys that size being wildly successful in the NFL. Russell Wilson's a little bit taller. Uh, Drew Brees is probably slightly taller, but maybe not appreciably, but it's not a long list. So you understand the trepidation that some might have. But I think anytime you draft at the top, you have that fear of missing out, fear of making the wrong decision, letting the guy at number two or number five or number eight wind up with a player who performs better than, than the guy you selected did. And Ultimately, you have to trust the tape and trust your gut, and nobody has better tape than Bryce Young. They lost two games this year, and I read a stat, and I need to get Marissa Dowling to confirm this stat, but it's so good, I'll go ahead and share it with you, and I'm sure if it's wrong, someone will point it out, but I believe it to be the case. Even though they lost two games this year, Bryce Young did not leave the field in the fourth quarter with his team trailing. How about that? I mean, the guy was clutch. Uh, whether it be in his Heisman winning season, uh, the drive against Auburn to save that game, the performance in the SEC championship game against Georgia, and then even 
even though they they were stopped, there were drops and injuries to the wide receiving core. His his performance in the national championship game against Georgia was outstanding. He was brilliant in giving them a chance to win in that classic game against Tennessee. He was spectacular um, in the latter stages of giving Alabama a chance against LSU. The tape doesn't lie. He has everything except the tape measure that says he ought to be the number one overall pick. So that brings us to C.J. Stroud. What if the Panthers decided to go with C.J. Stroud of Ohio State? Well, I, I think that's you know that's certainly a reasonable choice to make. I've given you what the downside of Young is. There's not an extensive history of quarterbacks his size performing at an elite level for a long period of time in the NFL. That's the downside. The upside is that the tape is spectacular and his makeup and his uh, football IQ, his overall IQ, his emotional intelligence, everything's exactly what you would want. I think the same uh, in many respects would be the same for C.J. Stroud. And any question that people might have had about him being able to rally a team behind him, that was probably answered in the national semifinal game in the Peach Bowl against Georgia, in which he gave his team not only an opportunity to win, he was spectacular. And he also showed a facet of his game that he had been hesitant to show at different times, staying in the pocket and showing that he can escape and pick up first downs uh, with his feet as necessary. And did that in just an awe-inspiring fashion and really uh, – Buckeyes probably should have won that game, given his performance. Prior to that, and he's got the requisite size, and he can make all the throws, and he's got uh, he's got natural accuracy, which is a question about a couple of the quarterbacks on down the board. But with C.J. Stroud, the question I had that was at least in part answered in the Georgia game, you know, as we start to make comparisons, as we are wont to do around draft time, I worried that he was Jeff George. And before people get terribly upset about that, Jeff George won a lot of games in the NFL, and he played at a high level on numerous occasions. But given his pure, raw passing ability, just an uncanny ability to make any throw, tremendous arm strength, beautiful ball, through with anticipation, everything you would want physically from a quarterback, for whatever reason, it never seemed that he elevated everyone around him as much as his talent would suggest that he might have. And I I asked one of his former coaches one time about him, because I don't know that anybody's ever had a better, you know, combine workout than Jeff George did. And I asked one of his former coaches about him, what is it about him that suggests national championships, Super Bowls, MVPs, and you know all of that type of thing that goes with the ethereal realm of the greatest quarterbacks that keeps him from doing it? And this coach didn't hesitate. He said, he doesn't understand team. And I said, you mean he's selfish? He said, oh, no, no, no. He said, he's a great guy. His teammates like him. He said, but at, he said, and this coach readily said, I don't think he would say this about himself. He said, but there is a there's an air about him is that I know I can make every throw. So if you run the right route and you pick up the right guy on the block, we're going to be fine. And 
he said maybe just that innate quality that certain people have, that the Tom Brady's have, that, that Patrick Mahomes has, to elevate everyone to play at a higher level. Um, that was a question I had about C.J. Stroud. Certainly, they played at a high level because they have immense talent. I had a lot of questions answered in that Georgia game about that. And I don't mean that, by the way, to cast aspersions at Jeff George, who I always enjoyed watching play. And by um, by the accounts that I've been given over the years, you know, not at all a selfish or a bad guy. It's just, you know, th- there's that little there's that little innate quality that athletes have that you can't put a finger on. For instance, why is Tom Brady so great? I mean, Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback the NFL's ever seen. He was a better college quarterback than Drew Henson at Michigan. And clearly, Drew Henson had superior physical skills. And Drew Henson was a good guy. And Drew Henson was a good leader. But there was something about Brady that elevated everybody around him. One of those old things that people say, you just can't coach. And whether C.J. Stroud has that for the long term, that remains to be seen. But that night on the sideline, watching him elevate his team against what turned out to be the best team in the country and giving Ohio State a chance to win that game, and they would have won the national championship had they won that game, really answered a lot of questions there. So I think you can't you can't go wrong, one or two, I don't think. But both of them certainly have, both Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud will have some questions to answer or challenges to overcome as they start on their pro career. And it will be fascinating to see what the Panthers do at number one if the Texans are then content to take number two. And as much as I like both quarterbacks, I'm going to be steadfast in saying that if the Cardinals stay at number three, and if they don't select a quarterback, and with Kyler, they probably shouldn't. If they stay at number three and select Will Anderson, the Cardinals will have won the draft. And I will declare them so on ABC if they do, because I still think Will Anderson's the best player in the draft. And that's the guy that that I would take number one for sure. If you're listening to this episode of the College Game Day podcast, and all of a sudden you find yourself hungry for more NFL draft coverage, check out First Draft with Mel Kuyper, Todd McShay, and Field Yates. They're keeping tabs on the draft every Wednesday. The draft starts April 27th on ESPN and ABC. It's right around the corner. You can listen to First Draft wherever you're enjoying this podcast, or you can watch it on YouTube. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. A lot of NFL talk, a lot of former college player talk. And I know the real question, I've already gotten this question several times over the course of the last few weeks, even at the end of basketball season, where's college game day going to open the season? Taylor, do you have a, do you have an opinion on where college game day should go? Because the decision hasn't been made. And even if it had, which it has not, but if it had, I would be under 
under threat and double secret probation to keep that information confidential for a while. Where would you suggest college game day go? Reese, well, you uh, brought this up before we hit record, and this is the first time I'm looking at the schedule for week one, and I would have to think... Slim pickings, right? It's yeah, slim pickings out there. There's a couple... D I would say my number... Well, the most intriguing spot is Thursday night, Florida at Utah. So I don't know if you guys will do some sort of... That's well, maybe, but that's kind of, I mean, maybe all of those things are always under consideration, but it's sort right. of off the board because you you need you need the Saturday right. atmosphere. Of course. Yeah. So I think I would go Virginia, Tennessee in Nashville. Now, I know you guys spent a lot of time in Tennessee last season. Um, I'm sure your accountant is uh busy sorting through all of that, but uh like, do you, is that something? No, it's a wonderful place to go, man. It's a no state income tax place. Oh, I'm for, I'm for all shows. No, let's do being it again. Tennessee, Texas, Florida, or Nevada. We, we should really lean in those directions. <laughs> all right. Well, do you think, I mean, cause you went to Knoxville a couple of times last season. Do you think that is anything that the powers to be will consider or is it a fresh slate because it's a, it's a whole new season? No, it, it's a, it's a fresh slate. The one thing I would say is there are that and there's also the neutral site game in Charlotte between North Carolina and South Carolina. And with spring practice uh, reports that that Spencer Rattler is building on his outstanding finish to the season and with Drake May and North Carolina coming in, there is some intrigue there. But both of those have the problem that we've had of being a neutral site game uh, doesn't mean we won't go. Charlotte really delivered when we went there for Clemson and Georgia a couple of years ago. I mean, it delivered big time. But would North Carolina and South Carolina turn up for the morning show the way Clemson and Georgia did if we were to go there? I mean, it was it was like being on campus, even though we were in Uptown Charlotte. It was really it was really good. We've had some good neutral site um, scenes, but I'm not so sure that that wasn't the best one, particularly for an opening week. So that that those two are under consideration. The other one, there there is a game that would be a no-brainer if the home and home had been flipped. Um, mm -hmm. I know what you're going to say. Yeah, Colorado and TCU. If that game were in Boulder, that would be a no-brainer. Um, but it's in Fort Worth, and I still think there's some appeal there too. I think it's it's certainly a worthy and strong candidate of being the possible site for the first week of college game day. But by the way, did you see, did you see Deion Sanders awaiting the arrival of Ralphie into the trailer? I mean, yeah. <laughs> it, it was Dion is, is not overwhelmed by much. And it was the video. If you haven't seen it, look it up on. So the social media site of choice, I'm sure Colorado has it up someplace. And Ralphie is running that way. And Dion's asking questions like, does he know to go in here? And then after it's over, and that, that big buffalo, when she goes rolling in there and you know is rattling everything around, Dion just keeps saying, That was intimidating. That was yeah. intimidating. And I was thinking, this from a guy who is intimidated by absolutely nothing in his life. And uh and that that big buffalo rolling at you, even though you know you're in theory, protected is a bit intimidating, I would say. So, you know, maybe maybe seeing the Buffaloes roll out figuratively uh, on the road against TCU would be would be intriguing as well. But th the decision hasn't been made. 
that one more what about uh west virginia at penn state those are two fan bases that would turn up yeah that's a good that's a good one too uh, there, there are a couple of West Virginia opportunities, perhaps one Ooh, in Morgantown, but that's a, love that. that that's a good one. Um, that's a good one as well. Looking forward to seeing, and, and people ask often, do we get a say in it? And we do. And ultimately, you know, sometimes, sometimes the decision is made for a variety of reasons, but they listen to us and they, you know, they take into deep consideration what we have to say, especially if we push really hard, but it's, it. This week one and the schedule is one that it's hard to really decide I'm going to stand up on the table and stomp my foot until I get my way, you know, with um, with the ones that are out there. It's a little bit disappointing. And I know there are some extenuating circumstances with the playoff expanding and some of the uh, series being pushed back or in some cases canceled and so forth. But I I would like I would like to have seen the athletic directors um, kind of come together. Maybe this is a better job for the commissioners or the television executives, and come up with um, a few more big games to kick off the season. Now, you mentioned Florida, Utah. There's Florida State and LSU, which is going to be on Sunday night, which is a great game, another neutral site game. But I would love to see more on-campus openers because there's such an anticipation to the start of the season and the years that we've had, um, you know, we've had Michigan, Notre Dame, or we've had uh, Notre Dame, Ohio state or whatever it might be when you've had huge games like that. And even if you had big brand names playing neutral sites, one year we had a top three matchup, Alabama and Florida state um, when Jimbo had it rolling at Florida state, that really generates some enthusiasm for the season. So, uh, you know, hopefully we're going to get to a point once the realignment settles and schedules are decided upon, meaning like in the SEC, maybe the ACC, or they're going to play nine. There, There is some concern among some that if they expand in those leagues to nine, that they've already committed long-term to play two more power five games in some cases in addition to their conference schedule okay now if you play 11 power five games are you at some type of disadvantage i i don't buy any of that taylor because i'm in favor of playing 11 power five games uh i would be in favor of 12 but i i can understand the theory if you play I would prefer a 10-game conference schedule in all of these expanded conferences, just to be frank about it. But if you're going to go nine and you play two more um, you know, interconference games against a power five opponent, if you need a if you need a wheat break and you want to play, you know, double directional or you want to play an FCS and give them a check, go ahead. You know, I think I think one's fine, but the the issue becomes is if you water it down to the point or if you wind up in a situation like Georgia, who there are some extenuating circumstances with Georgia's schedule for sure. Um, you know, they were supposed to play Oklahoma with Oklahoma coming to the SEC. That got changed. So I'm I'm not at all bashing Georgia for its schedule. It's just unfortunate that that they really don't have any type of huge early season challenge and South Carolina can go ahead and put that on their bulletin board for week two or whatever it is, but you'd love to see that. And I hope that as the playoff expands, that there won't be this, this 
overly concerned scheduling approach about losing a game because once we get to 12, you're going to have some three loss teams in there. Um, maybe most years it'll be, you know, one and two loss teams or whatever, but I, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to think you'll have three loss teams. So I think the stigma that goes along with, with dumping a game is going to be lessened because you're going to get another opportunity. And people will say, well, you can't lose the game. You'll you know have to play the first round and the other team will get to rest and all of that. But I, I think as time goes on, that that idea will will dissipate a little bit. Obviously, we've touched on Dion. Looking forward to seeing that for sure. Noted with interest that Matt Rule is implementing a lot more contact in Nebraska's practices. Look forward to seeing that. But two assistant coaching uh, vibes or analyst and assistant coach vibes that I'm really fascinated by is Cliff Kingsbury joining Lincoln Riley and having Caleb Williams to work with after having worked with Kyler Murray in the pros and, and Patrick Mahomes and Johnny Menzel uh, in college. I know he's an analyst, but can he take a little bit off of Lincoln Riley's plate? Because I think it's really becoming difficult to be the head coach and stay in that offensive meeting room, devising the game plan, calling plays all the time. I know Lincoln's going to continue to do that, but maybe with Cliff there, some of that changes. And then maybe there's a fresh set of eyes that uh, makes an already wildly explosive Lincoln Riley USC offense even have another dimension to it. I think that'll be really fascinating. But the other one that almost from a soap opera standpoint that you just can't wait for Texas A&M to play, right? I mean, with Bob Petrino calling plays and Jimbo Fisher actually giving up play calling duties. And I still believe uh, Jimbo Fisher to be an outstanding offensive coach. I think he is a terrific teacher of quarterbacks. You cannot be thin skinned and play for Jimbo Fisher if you're going to play that position. But it's probably fair to say that over the last few years, as the head coaching demands have become more and more, as building a program at Texas A&M's gotten started and his offense is intricate and complex, and according to the people who have played in it and coached it, it takes a little while. And because of that, it's probably going to be really, uh, really beneficial to him to have someone like Bob Petrino there if, if they can mix. And talking with someone relatively close to the situation not long ago, they said so far so good, you know, in terms of that they felt like that the early comments, because Jimbo's really tired of answering that question, is some of the early comments that people jumped on and seized on to make it seem like that there was already a little uneasiness there with, with how this is shaken out were really overblown and that so far it's been so good and they'll open against the Lobos of New Mexico. So that's probably a good way to get started. And while I always enjoy a venture to college station, uh, the one piece of news I can break is that we will not be in college station for New Mexico against Texas A&M on, on opening night. I, I wish I'll tell you what I wish. No disrespect to our friends in Orlando. I wish that Florida state were playing LSU in Tallahassee on Saturday. And not just because it'd be a relative home game for me, but because that's the best game of the weekend. There are intriguing storylines there with Brian Kelly in his second year, you know, after getting to the SEC championship game last year, 
Florida State on the rise. Huge month of September for Florida State coming to have a chance to establish itself as a contender. Before September is out, they will have played LSU and Clemson. Split those games, they're fine. Win both of them, they're a championship contender, and lose both of them, and then all of a sudden it becomes, uh, you know, are they really that much improved? So I don't know that there's a team in college football that has a bigger September than Florida State. And I wish they were playing in Tallahassee on Saturday so that we could uh, so that we could go there. I don't know what my entire weekend schedule is, but um, the television viewing experience is so great that a lot of times you think, why would I go to the game when I can see the replays and, you know, sit there in the comfort of, of your chair? And that's a challenge for people to get butts in the seats consistently. But I will admit that even after that first game day weekend, I'm really tempted to go to Orlando to watch LSU and Florida State. Would you would you make that road trip if you were in my situation, Taylor? Absolutely. But I know you. I know you like to watch games on the bus. You like the AC. Yeah. Uh, you like to yeah. be able to get home and watch games. So I under I wouldn't fault you if you didn't, but I personally would. It's tempting, man. I mean, that's Do that's it. gonna I think that might be a scene down there yeah, too yeah, sunday night lsu is really excited about the opportunity that they um you know if they have Jaden daniels coming back year two of bk system florida state uh florida state fans are starting to feel themselves a little bit too and uh you know so there's a th- there's a real opportunity for that to be a scene i'm glancing at their schedule right now i've mentioned how difficult september is if they get past that They've got three straight home games and a couple of, you know, tricky potential potholes on the road in the ACC. But I mean, they're going, if they come out of September undefeated, they're going to be in this thing for the long haul. And I mean, I think it would be, it would be welcomed. It would certainly be welcomed for the ACC uh, to bring in another contender because if, you know, look, if they go to Clemson and win and it's a great game, Clemson by no stretch of the imagination's out. So you could have two ACC teams throughout this uh, being being in the mix. So just a huge, huge game, mostly for Florida State, but by extension for the ACC with that opener, uh, opener against LSU. When we put together the ideas for this podcast, you send out a note that oftentimes Pete and I adhere to rigorously and on occasion we just flat ignore. But in in this case, I'm going to adhere to it rigorously. You asked a question about what I'd been doing since the NCAA tournament ended and Taylor, I will tell you that what I've been doing is being a hero. Oh, yeah? How so? I've been, I'm a hero. I let believe me tell, Let me tell you how this works. On, I was at the Final Four in Houston, and I get a frantic call from my wife, who fortunately I don't think downloads this and listens to it. Um, actually, what had happened is I told her for some you know, uh, accounting things that, I needed her to send a copy of her driver's license to our account or whatever. And, and she was driving uh, on a trip. I said, it's not a rush. Just want to tell you before I forget to tell you. 
few minutes later, I get a call back. She pulled off inside the road to do it, maybe get something to drink or whatever. And she can't find her driver's license. She said, I'm turning around and going back home. So there's this, you know, it's very frustrating when you when you can't find that and having to go through the process of of getting it replaced. And we had a trip planned, which we took last weekend to see my daughter. But anyway, the the whole time she can't find the driver's license, right? And this is, you know, it's it's frustrating because it takes a while to to get it replaced. Anyway, so I come home on Tuesday, and I'm going to. If you're familiar with the movie The Fugitive. I decided to go into Tommy Lee Jones mode and institute a hard target search and search every chicken house, hen house, outhouse, you name it. I was I was on I was on a mission. I was I was going to see if I could find the license. So I'm with a flashlight underneath the seat in her car. <laughs> I'm going through. I asked permission. Uh, I'm going through, I'm going through her laundry. I'm looking at her bags. Which bag do you have? And she's, you know, I'm sure she's thinking, I appreciate the effort. There's no way. So I'm sitting in my office and I noticed earlier that there was unrelated to the copy of the driver's license that I had asked for. I had noticed that there was a, a copy of her driver's license on a, just a piece of paper on the printer. And I thought, well, she had gotten someone to send. I said, well, she just printed that off because uh, the state had sent her a copy to print off so that if she were to get pulled over, there were an accident or whatever, she would have the number and have something. And so I, I continue to search and I'm going all over the place. And I thought, you know, I'm just going to go open the, the lid on the printer. Oh, no. Voila. Voila. <laughs> and when I tell you that I I gloated or not gloated in this but uh soaked up the adulation that came with it mm -hmm. oh i did for sure i didn't say it's okay to. honey I, I mean you have to we have you don't have a lot of these victories especially when the problem occurs which they always occur when you're in no position to help which me being in houston at the final four you're in no position to help you can't help but now you can okay so now you're the hero, the conquering hero, whether you're a Michigan man or not. You found the driver's license. Now, I'm missing my favorite coffee cup that I take nowhere out of the house, and we cannot find it. And when I tell you that she, it's on the low, but when I tell you that she is seeking with every fiber of her competitive being to find that coffee cup before I do, I mean, she's trying to even the score. I don't know if it's the same, mm. but she also knows my, she knows my quirks and my eccentricities. When I lose something, I obsess over it. So, oh. so the coffee cup's missing. Who cares? And I know intellectually, I don't really care, but I do. And, and if she finds it, the score is going to be even. And I have no doubt, I have no doubt that, that she's going to find it. I lost a watch one time. This has been years and years ago. No idea where it was. <laughs> and as it turns out, we were going on vacation and I was wearing it. And I said, you know what? I don't think I want to take this. Just, you know, she goes, here, I'll take it. She took it and she put it in. <laughs> we were in the garage and I didn't see her do it. I, I thought she, I, I don't know what I thought she did with it. But 
she put it in a rain shoe and then forgot that she had done that. And then, oh, well, no. I didn't know. And then like, I mean, months, months later, she goes to put on the rain shoe and goes, oh, look what I found. So probably, and then she was, she was the hero. Then I was, I was thrilled. I didn't mind that she had done it. And it, and it has given me fodder for probably 15 to 18 years now that whenever we lose something, the running joke is, did you put it in a rain shoe? Which is, <laughs> I, she was too angry about the license for me to use that joke, but I did think of it. Um, actually, when I was looking, I think I did say it because she had settled down after a few days and, and had some things worked out, but I, I did say are you sure you checked your rain shoes? Which I'm not sure that was the, that was a, the wisest thing. I have a theory here and I don't mean you're, I'm sure your wife is, is incredible, an amazing person. She is. She's awesome. She's the best thing that ever happened to me. She keeps okay. me alive. Confirmed. Do we think this is the only thing I can really think of. Do you think maybe she accidentally broke the coffee mug and oh, is no, now it's, pretending no, it's, that it's, it's on? It's, um, it's unbreakable. No, no, no. It's, uh, uh, it's, it's or maybe she those, threw it away or something. It's one of those Yeti mugs. No, no, no. She's not like that at all. Okay. I know that okay. there are some people who are. She is not like that in the least. Not, uh, not that she's, you know, she is, she's competitive mm -hmm. and all of that. And, but I will say this, there was not a fiber in her being that resented the fact that I found the license. It was all gratitude. She was, she was delighted that I'd found that. A that parade doesn't in your mean honor. that she wouldn't like to find the coffee cup. She would like to find that. Right. You got to keep that scoreboard. Yeah, I guess to, to a certain degree. Okay. Before we wrap up here, there's something that I, I told you that I was somewhat disturbed by. Not disturbed. Okay. Maybe a little. Your persona in your fandom on Twitter is vastly, vastly different than what we get on this podcast. What, what, is Twitter where you go to exercise your sports frustrations with various front offices of the teams that you root for? Uh, yeah. And I have to say that these, I feel disrespected by these teams. I know they owe me nothing. I am nothing <laughs> to them. I understand that my anger is completely irrational. I have a wonderful life. I am truly not an angry person, but you know, with the Orioles and the Washington wizards, also a big source of my ire. Um, the way that these teams communicate to the fans, I feel their customer base, you know, the people mm -hmm. that are paying money to consume their product and, and you know, fill their pockets, you know, I, I just feel like the way that they deal with the fans sometimes and the way that they, you know, when they're going about their business as an organization and how they're going to put a team out, um, when they're doing certain things over and over and over again, and you as the fan, you know, as someone who doesn't know much about baseball or basketball, you can see it from that outsider's vantage point and you know what they're doing isn't really working, um, but they still treat you with contempt. That's what really gets me. So these two franchises behave in similar ways. And that's why um, oftentimes I put them on blast on the Internet. You've got a platform. Have you ever gotten any response either A, from the teams or B, which shouldn't, by the way, it shouldn't impact your opinion because we all get those responses we don't like. But have you gotten responses from either a team you've put on blast or, I don't know, let me just make something up, like a player that perhaps you suppose shouldn't really be in the major leagues? Um, no, I haven't. And just I theoretically speaking. Theoretically, um, no one, no one's whose name rhymes with Schmein Jimena or anything, but... Uh, 
<laughs> it would be if it was a player, I would might feel a little more bad, especially a guy who is maybe like an end of the roster type of guy. If I'm calling out like a star player, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I feel like they have a little more responsibility in terms of, you know, how they're playing and carrying themselves. But end of the roster guy, I'd probably feel bad. Front office, I wouldn't feel bad at all. In fact, I would wear it as a badge of honor. Okay. If John Angelos or Ted Leonsis or Tommy Shepard. If they put me on blast somewhere, I mean, I, I might get it tattooed on me. I have no tattoos, but that would be <laughs> that would be awesome. If if they if I was a thorn in their side, I would I would carry that on forever. That would just be you um, sacrificing yourself for the fans, yes, and making sure that that you had this um, had this badge of honor of trying to represent all of them. There was one thing that I failed to bring up when we brought up Deion Sanders. I was asked an interesting question by a longtime friend at dinner last night, and I misunderstood his question at first because he said, who's the greatest athlete you've ever seen? And I, and I thought he meant like among the people I work with, and I without hesitation said David Pollock. Um, but then he goes, he goes, really? And I said, oh, do you mean like ever seen? And he goes, yeah, yeah. I said, oh, well, Pollock's a great athlete. He's not that. Um, for years, I said it was, I said, I thought it was Herschel Walker because not only was he a great running back, bobsled team, and we always, we throw around the term world-class speed and it's not really true, but Herschel actually had it, but I've changed a little bit as I've sort of realized Everybody always knows that the most difficult thing in sports, or they should, if they don't know they're wrong, is to is to be a hitter at the major league level, really be a hitter at high levels of baseball. Bo Jackson and Deion Sanders both were elite football players and excellent major league baseball players with relatively little buildup to that. What is the thing you're a baseball fan as I am? Isn't it like, uh, the rule of thumb, and there are certainly exceptions, but the rule of thumb is like 1,200 minor league at bats, right? And I don't have it in front of me, but I don't think either of those guys had anything close to that. You know, um, certainly didn't have years in in the you know minor leagues building up. I would probably give the slightest edge of greatest athlete I've ever seen to Bo over Dion because Bo was stronger. Dion strong. Dion, you know crazy ability to capture the moment, which I think ought to count a little bit too. I'd give it to Bo. Am I leaving anyone out? Um, I mean, if you're going to sport like that, I, I'm not really sure. Um, I mean, for me, I think the greatest athlete I've ever seen. I've seen him in person multiple times, which I'm very lucky to say that uh, Lionel Messi is, uh, you know, an yeah. incredible wonder to watch. But I think your point, uh, cross sport, especially baseball is extremely well taken for those guys. I mean, and, that, and that's why, you know, Michael Jordan, not really a, um, super successful baseball player, but I mean, to play in the minor leagues, um, in addition to being the greatest basketball player of all time, I think that is, uh, you know, certainly, a a notch on his resume that is, is distinguished. Michael Jordan did so much more in baseball was so much better than I imagined that he would be or could be was a remarkable thing. Same is true for Tim Tebow. Just I mean, going to say that. Nope. I mean, people people get on Tim. That dude hadn't played baseball at all since high school. It was like 13, 14 years. 
And, you know, he's in, he's in double A, which, which a lot of times is really the most difficult level because triple A is almost like the hybrid It's where, you know, it's kind of where they, they put guys who are already big leaguers, but they're roster considerations. I know that's not absolutely the case, but it often is double A is where all the dudes that are coming up are. And, you know, Tim's blasting some home runs, you know, at that level, mm-hmm. making some plays. It, both he and Michael did much more baseball-wise, but I would go with those other two. And the name that my my buddy brought up to me, really old school that I've forgotten, was Dave Winfield because he was drafted in all three sports. You know, he's a great, great player in all three in Minnesota. But if, uh, you know, perhaps uh, perhaps if we go to Fort Worth, if, and I'm not, I'm not hinting at anything, no decision has been made about college game day. But if we see Dion's Colorado debut there, maybe he can convince me otherwise and and expound on the uh, facts that would give him the edge over over Bo Jackson. Taylor, I would like to encourage you to do what you can to try to keep your cool in 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 your fandom because I, sometimes I'm taken aback by um, <laughs> I'm taken aback by you know the vitriol that I see on your I'm Twitter so feed, which I follow quickly. Uh, I'm so sorry. Uh, That's not not the impression I want to, you know, put across to you, Reese. You're you're a respectable gentleman. So if you think (laughs) I'm out of line, then maybe I should. uh, I wouldn't say you're out of line. No, no, no. You're probably completely in line. No, I would say you're completely in line. I just worry about um, I worry about you being so angry. I don't want you to be angry. I want you to be I want you to be, you know, satisfied and fulfilled. And maybe if these teams would do what you would like them to do, that would be an easier thing. Appreciate that. You bet. This has been the College Game Day podcast for Tuesday, April 13th. Thanks for listening. NFL Draft comes up in two weeks. We look forward to getting things started. We'll talk to you next time.